Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. You know the story. It's a long history, but Abraham eventually, against all odds, has a baby by the name of Isaac. And Isaac eventually has Jacob. In fact, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau doesn't show up in the story because Jacob basically connives with his mom and steals the birthright or the inheritance of the older brother. And so Jacob actually becomes next in line. They lie to their father. It's just a whole crazy story. Uh, During that whole time, Abraham one time is out with his wife, Sarah. They're traveling. They get near Egypt with Pharaoh. And Abraham is so afraid that Pharaoh is going to take his wife, Sarah, to be a part of his harem. That he basically says, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And she... He offers up his wife to Pharaoh. He's like, good luck, babe. Hope it works out for you. And like, this is the guy that God chose to bless the world. And then eventually Jacob, who stole the birthright or the inheritance, he has 12 sons. And you probably know the story, maybe. And those 12 sons, there's the youngest by the name of Joseph. And his older brothers get basically jealous of him and decide like, hey, we should kill him. And then they have mercy. No, we shouldn't kill him. We should make some money off of him. So let's throw him in a cistern and then we'll sell him to traveling gypsies, which is exactly what they did. And and Joseph gets carted off as a slave in Egypt. And eventually years go by and all of the rest of those brothers and their families migrate to Egypt. And then eventually, after a number of years, those 12 sons finally become a nation of slaves. And they're in slavery, and they're in bondage, and they're oppressed, and the conditions are horrible. And they're thinking at that moment in history, we're not a blessing to anybody. We're oppressed. We're beaten down. We're marginalized. Our nation is nothing but a slave state. We can't bless the world. We can't make the world any better. And I'm telling you, at that moment in history, they're going, listen, we just want to survive. But obviously, God's changed his mind. Obviously, God's called an audible. We don't have the ability to bless anybody on planet Earth. And I think God has given up on his promise. And then God sends Moses the deliverer. And there's that crazy story where Moses, through the hand of God, delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. But if you know the story, soon after they are delivered and Moses leads them out, they feel anything but blessed. They feel forgotten. They're on the edge of the Red Sea with the the armies about to crowd in. Eventually they're able to cross the Red Sea into the land of Canaan. And as soon as they get there, the Canaanites don't want them. Because Israel obviously is cursed. They're not a blessing. They're not making anybody better off. And instead of some kind of blessing that's going to make the world better off, they are left with nothing but war and violence over and over and over and over again. And it's absolute chaos. And and just a real quick side note. 
for some of you, because I just want to address this for a second, because you have so much trouble understanding the Old Testament, I get it, around the issue of war and violence. And for some of you, it is the reason that you go, I just can't believe that God is good, or I can't believe in the existence of God because of what you find in the Old Testament around war and violence and bloodshed. And I just want to tell you this, the Old Testament is not an argument against the goodness or the existence of God because of warfare. In fact, it is a picture of what happens when you abandon God. That it was never God's intention or God's plan. And in fact, this is, you should just think about this. The only reason it bothers you because it was normal in that culture among anybody, no matter who, what God they served, it was just normal. It's how the world worked. The only reason it bothers you is because you are on the other side of the miracle of Bethlehem. And that little baby introduced an ethic into the world that was unknown at the time. It was an ethic that literally, especially in the West, has changed how you think. And it's changed how you view the world, even if you deny the source of that change. In fact, I would just say this last thing and I'll move on. That, that literally the reason that you are bothered by it. The reason that you struggle with it and you struggle with the, the violence and, and understanding what's going on or why the world would be like, the reason that that is even a doubt for you to doubt the existence and goodness of God is because of the fact that God introduced a new ethic that began to change the way the world worked. Literally, you doubt the existence and goodness of God because of God. The only reason you know about it is because God introduced something into the world in, an, in a culture of might made right that has changed our consciences even if we deny the source of that conscience. And so there they are and a thousand years go by. And finally, that nation becomes a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And maybe you know the story, right? David becomes the second king of Israel. He is a mighty warrior. In fact, he's known as the warrior king. His, his original name is Joshua. And he fights and defeats all of Israel's enemies. They become the most powerful nation and kingdom in the world. And then his son Solomon takes over and Solomon leads them to unprecedented wealth. He's the most wise man in all of the world. They have peace on every side. Literally kings would come and bow down at Solomon and go, teach us what you're doing through this kingdom. It was the golden age of Israel. And here's the thing. If ever there was a time for God to bless the world, this was the time. If ever there was a time where up until this point, there's no way it could even happen. But now they're finally at that point where against all odds, maybe God's going to come through with his promise. We're the world power. We have everything in our hands. We have all of the wealth, all of the influence. This is the moment God's going to bless the world. And yet God had told Solomon, if you go off the rails, there's going to be consequences. And Solomon did. And he married the enemy's daughters and then he started to worship their gods. And he forgot about God and God kept his promise to divide the kingdom, to destroy the temple. And God's basically like, I got a better plan for the future anyway. But Solomon, I'm going to do exactly what I said. And Israel's best shot at seeing that promise fulfilled ended right there. It was all over. In fact, 300 years go by, 700 B.C. in the northern kingdom, because now it's split. Israel is captured by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, Judah, is about to be invaded. Their military is in shambles. The economy is decimated. Everything is lost. And in the midst of all of that, God sends a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and God speaks. 1,200 years after the original promise, and he says this. Isaiah 49, 6. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, 
And all of the Israelite people are like, we're a joke. We're not even a legit nation. We're being overrun by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom is about to fall. We have no military. We're not going to be a light. This is the darkest moment in the history of Israel. God's like, you're going to be a light for all of the Gentiles, people like us 2,000 years later. And you're going to bring my salvation. And they're thinking, we can't even save ourselves. And God's like, just trust me, you are going to be salvation to the ends of the earth. And then after this prophecy, they lost their independence to Assyria. And they spent 300 years in chaos and war and violence. Eventually, the Babylonians take them over, destroy their temple, take away the best and brightest in Israel, and take them to Babylon to serve under the Babylonian Empire. And then God shows up again and speaks through the prophet Malachi. And in the midst of all of that chaos, I'm telling you, what he says is impossible. There's no kingdom. There's no military. There's no influence. Everything is lost. Babylon has overtaken it all. And you know in those moments with your kids, because i got to think this is where Israel's at, when your kids bring you something, and every once in a while you just have to lie. Every once in a while, my parenting, we just have to lie. Because my kids will, you know, because every once in a while, you just need to know what your kid needs. And I think that there's precedent for that. And, you know, Rahab in the Old Testament. So don't send me emails. But, like, like when your kids come with something, like, isn't this amazing? And in the moment, like, it's not amazing. But you, you just have to, like, no, it's amazing. And you're looking at your wife going, it's, it's not amazing at all. Like, it's, it's horrible. But my kid needs to think it's amazing in the moment. Is anybody with me? If you don't have kids, you're judging me. If you have kids, you're like, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And so Israel's at the place where they got to think that way. Like, hey, just stop the hype. It's, it's terrible. Stop telling us otherwise. And yet Malachi shows up and he's like, no, no. God says, this is literally his words, my name is going to be great among the nations. And all of them are like, no, it won't. Zeus's name's going to be great. Your name's not going to be great. It's over for us. Just stop the hype. And from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings are going to be brought to my name. Meaning, throughout history, wherever in the world people are worshiping gods, there's going to be a remnant who's going to worship my name. Because my name will be great among the nations. And everybody rolled their eyes. Because there's no way that that impossible, incoherent, unbelievable promise is ever going to come true. Because Israel's been conquered by the Babylonians, the Persians, now the Greeks. And then in 63, Pompey, later known as Pompey the Great, shows up on a horse and they overthrow. And once again, it's signification that Israel has been dominated once again, this time by the Romans. And history tells us that Pompey rode into the temple on the temple steps, began to desecrate the temple, which was so offensive in first century. And he rode right into what we know as the Holy of Holies, which was the epicenter of God's presence. But in their mind, in ancient culture, every religion had what they called a God vault. And in the God vault, that's where they would keep their idols that they worship. And so when Pompey came into the temple, he thought, I want to see the God vault. I want to see the idol that these lame Israelites worship. And so he goes into the Holy of Holies to everybody's shock, to the horror of all of Israel. And he opens up the God vault and there's no idol there. 
And Pompey thinks, what a lame, unbelievably terrible religion. You guys don't even have an idol. And he desecrates the entire temple. He leaves the entire thing in ruins. And everybody during that time period, just mark my words, all of them are going, Jupiter is more powerful than Yahweh. Can't even protect these people. And so part of God's promise came through. That they would become a nation, that would become a kingdom. But the unbelievable incoherent, impossible promise ended right there. And this is what is so remarkable about the story, is that when everybody had given up hope, when God had not spoken through a prophet for 400 years, when nobody was looking for it, and when everybody had abandoned pretty much, But when the set time had fully come, God was ready to move. I love that verse, Galatians 4. When the set time, when God had everything just the way he wanted it, even though people had been waiting for 3,000 years. When God had everything just right, meaning when there was an expanding empire. Meaning when there was now an exportable Greek-Roman culture and language that could transfer to all of the areas of the region. When, when suddenly there was peace among conquered nations. When suddenly there was this exportable um, highway and seaport system that connected all of the major population hubs. And when finally in history for the first time, there was a mechanism to get the world's attention. When God had waited till everything was just right. But when everybody had given up hope, and when nobody was expecting it, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name, and everybody knows her name, all throughout the world. In just about every language and every continent, especially during this month, her name is uttered over and over again. How did that happen? How do we know her name? How did that survive? And the virgin's name is going to be Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings. I know you feel abandoned. I know you don't feel anything but just forgotten by God. And you are not blessed, but I'm telling you, you're highly favored and the Lord is with you. And you found, verse 30, favor with God. And you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And he's going to be great. And he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then we lose sight of just how impossible this was, but I wish you could get into the context of these people when they're hearing this promise. And his kingdom is never going to end. There's no idea. They had no idea what what really all of that meant that 2,000 years and 40 pregnancies later, God had finally sent the person that had been promised through Abraham to be a blessing and to be a deliverer of that promise. And Israel would be a light. That through them, God would birth a movement that would be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural movement among every tribe, every nation, through every generation. And that the Jewish God really would be worshipped. 
that this man, Jesus, who never traveled more than 30 miles from his home and never wrote a book would dominate the globe and that they really would end up being a blessing to the entire world. Like, think about this, because I just love talking about it. If you're listening to me right now, you're podcasting me somewhere around the country, if you're listening via radio, if you're, if you're tuning into this message, you've been blessed, whether you believe it or not, by the miracle in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The compassion you feel, you just need to know this, was not an ethic in the first century when Jesus showed up in a manger. The ethic of generosity that we hold to, especially in the West, even if you don't believe in a God, it was not present when the baby showed up in a manger. The idea that there should be equality among people, that the marginalized have incredible value, that women and children have worth. I'm telling you, that is an ethic that showed up on the scene because of Jesus and it's changed the world. The idea that we should do good for those who can't and won't do anything good for us in a world that was might made right, where there was a class system among the gods, where compassion and love was not a virtue to be espoused to. In that culture, God came. And I'm just telling you, your worldview, how you think, how you see it has been impacted it has been blessed the world has changed because of the baby in Bethlehem and literally every nation and every generation has been impacted just as God predicted and I just want to say this to you and and we can be done because here's what I know about some of you you are clinging to impossible promises. There's an area where you are waiting for God to deliver and it seems incoherent what he's doing and how he's doing it. And he's been silent for a while. It hasn't been 400 years, but it's been a minute. And you seem and feel lost and God seems distant and God seems absent and there seems to be no way through and no way to the other side. And I just wanna tell you, and this is the message and this is the uncomfortable nature of following Jesus. This is not the time to walk away because the message of Christmas is when everybody had given up hope, when nobody was expecting it, when nobody understood God and none of their prayers were being answered, God moved and it's uncomfortable and there's tension around it, and we can't fully understand how God works that way, but it is just the reality of the scripture, and the good news is God promised us on the front end. There's gonna be moments where you don't feel me, and there's gonna be moments where you don't understand me, and there's gonna be moments where you can't see what I'm gonna do on the other side of it, this, and it may be silent for a while. Follow me. Don't abandon me. Don't give up on me. Decide to believe anyway. Because if nothing else, the Christmas story tells us that God is active and that God is interested. Even when everything about your circumstances wants to argue to the contrary, God can be trusted. Stand with me.
just pray with me in this moment? Jesus, I thank you for the epic story that in the face of unfaithfulness and faithlessness and abandonment and dysfunction, you were undaunted. And you are today. You are going to do what you promised to do. You will be with us. You will see us through. You will complete the work in our life all the way to the end. And maybe for those that the message is they feel too far gone and they've walked away, your promise is that the moment they're willing to return, the moment they're maybe figuratively willing to come to the altar to throw out their hands and surrender, your promise is that you will receive them in that moment. And so God, I pray wherever this hits us, in this moment, you would give us the strength to move forward, not because of what we see and not because of what we can understand, but because of what you have already done in history. You can be trusted and that's all we need. And I pray for the one or two or maybe dozens who've never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that they would know that that's the invitation today. That you began to unfurl this epic story so that you could run down every lost and wayward sinner, those who know that, that in their honest moments, they're not okay. And the way to God is not to earn more or try to be better or create a future version of themselves, it's to come to you and realize that, that you died on the cross for their sins and that you rose again that when we decide and realize we can't save ourselves, but you saved us because of what you did, and we decide simply to trust you, the scripture says that we'll be saved, that we'll become a son and daughter of God. And so I pray for some today to just cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again, and I'm asking you to save me. And so God, our prayer corporately for many of us right now is we want to surrender we want to come back to the altar no matter how hard and difficult things have been. And we are praying through your spirit for the will to maybe in some cases just stay where we are and trust you to get us to the other side. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.